September 9th, we'll be adding a second Sunday morning service. And so are, are you up early or do you like to sleep in? Uh, we'll find out. Uh, I'm excited. Next week, we start our vinyl sermon series in the bulletin. You guys got these tickets. Um, the barcode's meaningless, okay? These are just tickets that uh, just has the information about what's happening next week. But uh, we'll have a new one each week. Next week, we tackle the song, Don't Stop Believing. And we're going to ask the question, what truth is that, does that song tap into that make it resonate, that make it to connect to millions of people across the world? And then we're going to dive into what the scriptures say about that truth. It's going to be awesome. Have you ever been asked to do something extremely outlandish, something that doesn't even make sense? Here's one instance found on Craigslist. It's titled, I took your purse and felt a connection. <laughs> Tuesday night around 1130, you came out of the subway and I followed you. You looked over your shoulder, saw me and started walking faster. I ran up, grabbed your arm, took your purse and ran away. I've done many thefts, but this one was different. There was a moment when our eyes met that I felt something. I think you felt it too. If I wasn't so shy or committing a crime, I would have asked your name. I, of course, later got your name from your driver's license. So, Jennifer, if you'd like to get together for a drink sometime, get back to me. <laughs> Rather outlandish, don't you think? Um, this morning, in our final Sunday of our first fierce sermon series, we turn our attention to Hosea. And within the first few verses of this story, we find God asking a prophet to do something rather outlandish. We're not going to be looking at a fairy tale that has a prince and a princess that fell in love and lived happily ever after. No, we're going to look at the prophet and the prostitute. And it's going to be a good time. Now, I really do think that this story is the second greatest story in all of the Bible um, for reasons that will become known soon. Uh, Hosea chapter 1, let's dive in. It says this, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Now, in Hebrew, it's a little unclear here. Is she already a prostitute, or was she later to become a prostitute after they were married? Uh, the, the Hebrew is actually ambiguous here. We're not told. But it is clear that God is to take to, that Hosea is to take to himself a, a woman who is either a prostitute at that time, or will eventually become a prostitute. Why would God do this? The prophet, a man of God, the prostitute, a woman of the night. The prophet, a lover of one. The, the prostitute, a lover of many. The prophet, save for God. The prostitute, estranged from God. The prophet, a name known in time. And the prostitute, a name known in town. Listen, this is not the first time God asks his prophets to do some strange things. He asked Ezekiel to eat a scroll representing the word of God. Um, and then he was the, the message he was to deliver to Israel. He asked Jeremiah to build this yoke and then walk around town with it on its neck as a proclamation that they're under the yoke of uh, another nation. Still, God asking Hosea to marry a hooker is rather odd. And Hosea actually tells us why God would make such a request. It was to illustrate the unfaithfulness of the people Israel to the faithful God. God was trying to tell them something. And God is ensuring that his message of the prophet will not be obscured, will not be uh, uh, obscured by guesses. There'll be no confusion. Hosea's life was to be his message. He was to embody the message of God. 
His life was a sermon. And so is ours. That's number one is this. Our lives are sermons. What is your saying? Now, I want to I share this, but I, I want to give a quick disclaimer and say that I'm, I'm totally not a big deal. Um, and, uh, but occasionally, I'm at a place and someone might recognize me from church stuff or a speaking engagement I had, whatever it was. And not long ago, my wife and I, Sarah, we were going to a movie and the debate was which, which dessert place were we going to, you know, get beforehand and then put in our purse, her purse, and bring it into the theater. And you guys might be thinking, that's not very good of you. You're supposed to be a pastor. But um, $22 for Twizzlers in a soda, right? Like, that's true for all of us, right? So, so the debate is between Coney Island's Candy Factory or uh, the Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory. And so uh, we, I'm one-track-minded. We choose uh, Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory. So Sarah gets in, she gets her stuff, and then I'm looking and I'm staring at this Rice Krispie treat with a layer of caramel on top, and I'm just staring at it. And I'm oblivious to everyone around me. Sarah's, Sarah's elbowing me. There's like a line forming behind me, and all I am is just st- locking eyes with this Rice Krispie treat. I'm actually being quite rude. And the guy behind the counter says, hey, didn't you speak at Hume Lake Winter Camp a couple years ago? And I go, why, yes, I did. And almost immediately, I changed my demeanor. And I'm like, how's it going, brother? Uh, I'm John, Pastor John. Uh, greetings in the name of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what did my focus on myself and chocolate say to this person? My life's a sermon. Uh, a few weeks later, uh, I'm by myself, and I go to a restaurant, and I, and I order some food, and I'm, I'm in a hurry, and I'm not being mean, but I'm certainly not being kind, and I'm just not even looking. And sometimes, and I'm not proud of this, sometimes when, uh, when I'm at a place ordering food or something like that, I won't even look at the worker. I'll just look at the menu because I'm focused in on myself. They're like a machine to me, right? A transaction. I give you money, you give me food. So I'm not even looking, and the waitress says, I went to your church on Easter, And I look up, and I'm immediately convicted. And I'm not convicted that I didn't recognize her. I'm convicted because I didn't even look at her. That's a daughter of God. That person is made in the image of God, and I'm not even acknowledging their presence. Our lives are not merely the medium. They are also the the content. And that's also on the screens. Our lives are not merely the medium. They're also the content. And I'm convinced that as a Christ follower, we must treat everyone, everyone, as divine image bearers because that's what they are. Your life is a sermon. What does it say? Does your life proclaim the lordship of Jesus in your life or does your life proclaim the lordship of money in your life? Does your life proclaim that everyone matters or does your life proclaim that my tribe matters only? Let's see what happens. Hosea chapter one, verse three. So he married Gomer, daughter of Divlaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, this is a very interesting inclusion in the original Hebrew. Uh, the name Divlaim it, uh, means two cakes, two cakes, which speaks of uh, also of, of one given over to sensuality. And it's with this in mind that many scholars think that Divlaim is actually not the name of Gomer's dad, but rather Go- Gomer's mom. And that the two fig cakes was actually her price for her services. 
This is not typical in ancient writings. Usually it's, it's the daughter of and it's whatever the father's name is. But with hints like this, we're provoked to wonder what led this woman to a life in the shadows. These people saying to her mom, there's two cakes on the street corner again. Looks like two cakes is knocked up. Perhaps Gomer was the daughter of a prostitute and the father could have been any number of men. Perhaps Divlaim was a single mom and the daughter, Gomer, ends up doing the same profession that she only saw in her mother. Now, there's some interesting things here that might easily be missed. Let's read verse three again. It says this, so he married Gomer, daughter of Divlaim, and she conceived and bore him a son, him, okay? Hosea's child. And then it goes on to say, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter, and then after she had weaned Loruhamah, that daughter, Gomer had another son. There's something missing here, right? It, first three, it says she bore him a son. The next two children, they leave out that it's to him. Again, ambiguous, purposely ambiguous, leading us to assume that these, in fact, are not Hosea's children. This, this is actually discovered in chapter 2. Uh, it says this, I, I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful. She has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water and my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Scandal. He finds out. She cheated. She betrayed him. She broke the vow. She broke the covenant. Ultimate betrayal. She stabbed him in the back. One wonders if Hosea hoped and prayed each night that it wouldn't be true. That, 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 that she wouldn't leave him, that she wouldn't commit adultery. So what's Gomer's response to her husband finding out? She said, I'll go after my lovers who give me my food and my water and my wool and my linen and my olive oil and my drink. So instead of turning to her husband in sorrow and begging for forgiveness, she indulges. She thinks that indulging in darkness will actually bring light, but it never does. Just leaves a wake of pain in your life and the life of others. You ever been there, right? It, sin never works out. It appears to work out because it's fun for a while. There's an old Central American parable about a certain man who wanted to sell his house for $2,000. And another man, a poor man, wanted to buy it, but he didn't have quite the, the, the amount of money that he needed. And so he somehow works out a deal with this homeowner. And he says, okay, I'll let you buy it for the $700 you have, but... I get to own one little part of the house. And he goes, sure, no problem. And he goes, I'm gonna stick one little nail in the front door post and I own that nail. He goes, you own the whole house, I own that one nail. And the guy says, deal, easy, not a big deal. So I just got a killer, I got a deal, I, got, I, got a, I stole this house. So he lives this house, several years later, the old owner wants to buy the house back. And the man says, no, no, I'm not interested in selling it. I'm content, I'm happy now. So the first owner went out, found a carcass of a dead dog, and hung it on the single nail, the front door that he owned. Soon the house became unlivable. The family was forced to sell to the house, to the owner of the nail. When you're dealing with the devil, there's no such thing as a good deal. If you give him a toe, he'll grab your ankle. If you give him an ankle, he'll grab your leg. If he's got your leg, he'll take your hole down with him. Sin always costs more than you have. Sin always takes us farther than we want to go. And we all have this propensity to justify the darkness inside of us, right? 
because at least I'm not like them. At least I'm not like those people and whoever those people are, but we compare ourselves and we justify the darkness within because we're not as bad as them. It's inside of us all. And sin, I wish it just affected us, right? Our own bad decisions make only our lives hurt, not the lives of others, but that's not the way it works, right? You can't choose the consequences of our actions. And it affected Hosea. Now he's a single dad with three kids, two of which aren't even his. So we saw her reaction when she found out, right? She chased after her lovers who provided her her food, her water, her oil, her drink. They give me luxuries. They give me things. They provide for me. They make me happy. What's Hosea's response? Verse 8 of chapter 2. This is great. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil. What's going on here? Let's, let's go back to 8th century. She says, she says, I'm going after my lovers because they provide the oil, the drink, the wine, everything. Hosea in verse 8 says, I'm the one who provides it. Can you picture what has happened? Hosea shows up at the door at the man she's living with. He shows up at the door and he says, hi, is Gomer here? And he says, no, she's not here. And he goes, I'm her husband, Hosea. And the guy's like, and he goes, no, I don't want to fight, but I understand that you can't provide for my wife. And so I brought all these for her. Give them to her and say they're with love from her husband. And he slams the door in his face and goes to Gomer and says, honey, look what I brought you. Isn't that a wonderful picture of God, how he, he still provides for us and blesses us even in our waywardness, right? We make mistakes, he still brings blessing. He woos us back to himself. No matter where you are with God right now, perhaps you're indulging in things that won't work out in the end. He loves you and he pursues you. And I have to say here that in this text, the subject shifts here from Hosea and Gomer to Israel and God. And actually, throughout this narrative, it does that. In some places, you cannot tell where the love story between Hosea and Gomer ends and the love story between God and his people Israel begins. And the question throughout the first three chapters of Hosea is this. Are these verses talking about Hosea and Gomer or are these verses talking about God and Israel? And the answer, of course, is yes. Yes. Both. Our story this morning, focusing in on Gomer, isn't quite like Deborah, isn't quite like Esther, isn't quite like Ruth or the woman who anoints Jesus' feet at the party in the Gospels. No, in our story today, the woman that we're turning our focus to is not the rescuer. She's the rescuee. She's the one in need of rescue. Let's finish the story. It says this in chapter 3. It's amazing. The Lord said to me, to Hosea, go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about an omer and lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. See, in that time period, they would strip a slave down, put her on an auction block as people bid on her. Gomer's in over her head. What started out as fun has now become slavery. Slaves were always sold naked, and the price that she is purchased for actually uh, is cheap. 
the, the Exodus tells us that the price for a slave would be 30 shekels. So the price reflects negatively on her age, her desirability, her physical condition. Gomer is no longer in high demand. She has become cast off, attractive only to those who want to quench selfish lust or to those who have true love. Some would say that Hosea wasted his money on a worthless woman, but in reality, it's at this point where his love shines brightest. Picture the scene. Middle of town square, people gathered around, and they place this woman on this auction block. She's elevated so that everybody can see her. And the auctioneer says, six shekels. Who will give me seven? She's worth much more than that. Who's going to give me seven? And the men had gathered there to look upon this woman. And the seller said that she's worth more than the, the six shekels. But by looking at her, you wouldn't think so. Her, her ribs are protruding through her skin because she hasn't eaten in days. Her dark black hair was dirty and matted together in places. It had once been a source of her pride and joy with ribbons in allure, but now has become a home of dirt and lice. Seven, I hear seven. Do I have eight? Eight shekels. When are you ever going to find a, a, a slave girl like this for only eight shekels? As the bidding continued, the woman thought back over her life. She remembered back to another place. It seemed so long ago. She thought back to her wedding day. She thought back of the joy in her face, the joy in her husband's face. She looked back with fondness, remembering Hosea as he threw their children up in the air and caught them. And she had panic and joy all at the same time as every mother does. And her thoughts are interrupted by the auctioneer. Turn around. Let him see your backside. She shamefully turns around. Memories of her children flash before her. Ten shekels. Gentlemen, we'll never get to the better slaves if we don't sell this one first. Do I have ten? Now she's trapped. Her fate has been sealed. If she could go back in time, she would. But she can't. What started out as thrilling has now become slavery. Ten shekels going once. Ten shekels going twice. A hand raise. Fifteen shekels. Ten bushels of barley. Why, sir, we're not getting to the good slaves yet, but uh, never mind. Sold. Sold to that gentleman right over there. So the deal was done. Someone had bought her. The seller is, is counting his change, thinking, I can't believe I, we got this much for her. The woman didn't even raise her head to look at who had bought her. Just one more man to use and abuse her. Expecting a hand to grab her and demand that he follow her, she felt the soft robe on her shoulders. And Hosea grabs her by the shoulders and turns around and looks her in the face and says, you're to live with me now. No more anybody else. It's me and you. I wish I could have seen her face. Her eyes told it all as she collapsed in the outstretched arms of her husband. That is how God feels about you. That is how God feels about the worker at Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory. 
That is how God feels about the waitress that's gonna serve you lunch at whatever restaurant you're gonna frequent after this service. All of the things you have tried in life, they all pale in comparison to the magnificent, the momentous, the mighty, the incomprehensible, the incomparable love of our God. That's what we see in Hosea. I wanna invite Noe and the worship band to come up. We too are like Gomer, in slavery to our sin. We stand condemned and the world bids on us. We stand naked, vulnerable, sinful. And the world says, sex, lust, money, power, influence as the world bids on us. But when the bidding looks like it's all done, God stretches out his hand. Jesus stretches out his hand and he says, I bid myself, sold to Jesus Christ for the precious price of his blood. Hosea was written 800 years before Jesus. What a picture of God's love. The Greek equivalent to the name Hosea is guess what? Jesus. Jesus. Can you see why I think this is the second best story in the Bible? And like Hosea taking hold of Gomer, Jesus says to us, you're not to put anything above me. It's me and you. God, we're broken, we're empty, we're vulnerable. We mess up, we fall, we fail, we struggle. We get caught up in ourselves, we get caught up in addiction, we get caught up in selfish choices that you call sin and it ends in slavery. What starts out as fun ends in bondage. But God, you set us free. That's, God, I remember back in 1995 when death was arrested and my life began. I remember back sitting in a church, raising my hand to respond to a God who bid himself for me when the world was bidding all kinds of things and asking for my attention and asking for my loyalty and asking for my fidelity. God, you bid yourself. God, your word says in Romans that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't die for us when we were good, when we got our act together. When we were the worst of the worst, you had us in mind when you went to that cross. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you, God, that death was arrested on that cross and new life began. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we declare the goodness of Jesus, that Jesus conquered sin and death on the cross because we couldn't, that we weren't able to, and that our life began anew because of what Jesus did. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remained.
when death was arrested in my life.